Welcome to Exit Strategy. I'm Stephanie Gary, Executive Vice President of Communal Partnerships at Plaza Jewish Community Chapel in New York City and the host of our new and growing podcast. In this episode, we are going to discuss palliative care from the practical and spiritual perspectives. It's a concept that is not widely understood, yet we hear the term palliative care often. I'm so very honored to be with Dr. Diane E. Meyer, founder and director emerita of the Center to Advance Palliative Care, CAPC, a national organization devoted to increasing the number and quality of palliative care programs in the United States, and Rabbi Dr. Edie Meyerson, who is Director of Pastoral Counseling and Bereavement Services at the Hertzberg Palliative Care Institute at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. It is such a pleasure to have both of you on the podcast, so welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I want you to tell us, Dr. Meyer, what exactly is palliative care? What does it look like? And can you also explain the difference between palliative care, hospice care, which I think most people are more familiar with? That's a great question. And if you hadn't asked it, I would have asked you to ask (laughs) it. Palliative care is a relatively recently established specialty. Mm -hmm. It is a field that is focused on maximizing quality of life for people who are living with a serious illness and those who care for them and those who care about them. Mm -hmm. So it's focused on the pain, symptoms, stresses, practical, spiritual, emotional, physical, existential of living with a serious illness it is delivered at exactly the same time as all other medical treatments. So treatments aimed at cure, treatments aimed at disease reduction or management, treatments aimed at life prolongation. So why should you have to do one or the other? Why shouldn't you be able to have both? When you're living with a serious illness, you want treatment to reduce the burden of that illness, of course. But you also want treatment to help you live with that disease as well as possible. And this has been an attempt to pull back the fact that these illnesses are experienced by a person, a human being, Mm -hmm. and that that human being has multidimensional reactions to that illness that very much can be supported and very much the burden of them can be reduced. And we kind of lost sight of that. Your second part of your question is, what's the difference between palliative care and hospice? Hospice is a specific Medicare benefit that had a bunch of rules attached to it about 30 years ago. It was aimed very specifically at people who are predictably dying soon. Mm -hmm. So the law, the statute says the patient has to be dead within six months or less. And worse than that, the patient has to literally sign a piece of paper agreeing to give up disease treatment aimed at prolonging life. Hmm. And maybe 30 years ago, that made some sense for cancer patients. Today, it makes absolutely no sense because all of the diseases that we live with, their treatments not only, we hope, prolong life, but they also reduce the burden of suffering. The hospice Medicare benefit was designed in a different era of medicine for a different patient population than the one we 
are seeing today. Palliative care grew up into that gap, that Mm -hmm. fragmentation to say, wait a minute, most people living with serious illness are not dying soon. And they're living with this serious illness and they may live with it for years, sometimes decades. Mm -hmm. Look at examples like heart disease or Alzheimer's disease, ALS or multiple sclerosis, and nowadays, frankly, many cancers. Palliative care says continue whatever treatment helps you and get care focused on maximizing your quality of life. To that point, really and truly, quality of life is the key phrase here when it comes to palliative care. Rabbi Meyerson, from a rabbinical and spiritual and, if you will, reflective point of view, can you speak about the value of palliative care and that quality of life concept? For me, there are a few themes that connect me with palliative care. The first is this concept that everyone is created in the image of God or the divine. This divine spark that everyone has is different from one person to the next. From the palliative care lens, while someone may have a particular diagnosis, how a disease or treatment or experience of the symptoms affect the person is going to be different. We need to pull up a chair, sit down, and understand where the person is coming from and what their experience is to then make a care plan that is right for that person and to address their specific needs. Mm -hmm. Also from a a Jewish lens, I think about the idea of how our tradition tells us to to choose life. I have a, a deep belief that living and what is an acceptable quality of life is different for each person. And so conversations with patients and their loved ones about what a person values and how they live their life is critical to the conversations when we're talking about the big picture of a particular illness, um, what the options of treatment are and the implications of each treatment option and how each path could affect someone's living. It's about choosing life and really exploring what that means for the person. Therefore, very, very individualized in terms of each patient and, and each story. Absolutely. It's not, this is not cookie cutter at all. Exactly. It's interesting when we talk about the quality of life. I'm curious, you know, studies have talked about the fact that receiving palliative care can really lengthen someone's lifespan. Dr. Meyer, isn't that correct? It's not really complicated when you think about it. If Mm -hmm. you are receiving palliative care at the same time as disease treatment, let's say you're getting some kind of intensive chemotherapy Mm -hmm. and you wake up at three in the morning and you can't stop throwing up. Mm -hmm. Your partner is freaking out. You're getting anxious. You don't have palliative care. You call your doctor's office. It's three in the morning. What do you get? Mm -hmm. If this is a medical emergency, hang up now and call 911. When you call 911, they come and get you and they take you to the emergency room and then they admit you to the hospital. And you are a person who is immunosuppressed because of the chemotherapy that you are getting or radiation or whatever drugs you're on. And you come into a place that is rife with bacteria because it's full of sick people getting intensive antibiotics. And you get one of those bacteria and you die. The problem is that usual care carries risk 
because medical care carries risk. Unnecessarily going to the ER and going to the hospital is dangerous mm-hmm. for people who are very vulnerable. So that includes, for example, frail older adults who may not have all of their wits about them, who may not realize where they are, who may climb over a bed rail at three in the morning and break their hip, stop eating and drinking, who may become very confused or delirious. All those things shorten life, and they are complications of hospitalization. If you are simultaneously receiving palliative care at the same time as your oncology care, you don't call 911. You call the palliative care practice number. And there is a person who is on call who will call you back within a short period of time and walk you through what to do. What things can we give you right now at home to get this under control so that you don't end up calling 911, going to the hospital, catching a bad bug, and dying? So that is the reason that some, in my view, I can't prove that, but that some studies have shown that receiving palliative care at the same time as disease-specific treatment allows people to live longer. And predominantly, I think it's because they avoid the risks of the emergency department and the hospital. They're safer at home as long as they're able to access expert medical care when they need it at three in the morning or Monday at 9 a.m. And the stress that's taken out of the equation when at three o'clock in the morning, what do I do? And for the caregiver as well. So What's the entry point for palliative care? And how does that happen? Because people who get a diagnosis, I don't think they realize that palliative care is an option here and a road to go down. So talk about that a little bit. Well, I'm very curious about Rabbi Meyerson's perspective on this, but you've hit a sore point for me. Okay. In medicine, we generally think of high quality, meaning like patients get identical care. That is, if you are having a heart attack, the steps are very clear and we do the same thing every time because that's higher quality. Unfortunately, access to palliative care is not standardized in that way and is critically dependent on the individual biases of the patient's attending physician. Hmm. And some attending physicians, frankly, the younger ones, the ones who are trained more recently, who trained in teaching hospitals that had very well-integrated palliative care, they routinely call palliative care because they understand that their patients benefit from it. Conversely, people in my generation and maybe one generation behind me who trained when there was no such thing as palliative care do not understand it, wrongly think it is the same thing as hospice, and say to themselves, oh, my patient's not ready for that yet because they're not predictably dying. And so this profound misunderstanding of what palliative care is causes patients who would benefit enormously, who really need it, not to get it. That's an ongoing struggle to get to standardization, to get to say it's not about what the attending physician's prejudices are. It's about what the patient's needs are and that the responses should always be matched to the needs of the patient, as opposed to the fixed biases of the attending physician. And we haven't gotten there yet. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for patients and families? It means let the buyer beware. It means you have to know about it and you have to ask for it. And if your doctor says something to you like, oh, you're not ready for that yet, you're not dying, 
you have to educate that physician and say, my understanding is that palliative care is for people who are going to be cured, people who are going to live for a long time. And these are the issues I'm facing that I need help with. It's a very tough place for somebody who is in a place of, dare I say, suffering um, to have to advocate for themselves. It's, it's not a fair place to put them in. And yet, if somebody does have the wherewithal to be able to say to their physician, my quality of life is really being affected right now, palliative care can help me do that, can help alleviate any of the suffering. Please, I want that referral. Yeah, I think that's an important point. And and that leads me to talk about the palliative care fellows, Rabbi, that you bring to the chapel every year for an afternoon of learning in terms of what takes place at a funeral chapel. As we're talking about this, I'm curious, what is that intersection between the chaplain and the doctor and the medical team? Who coordinates that? And when does the chaplain enter the picture? Is that from the very beginning to help set this course? Or do they come in later? From my experience with our team, our chaplains are are right there with our doctors. We are in rounds together as a team daily. We see patients at the bedside together. We are in family meetings together. We're even on group text threads for patient care together. When a consult comes in, it goes to the entire team. We're embedded within the team because a deep value of palliative care is making sure we're caring for the whole person and all the parts of who a person is, not just the physical or what's happening in the person's body. It's also about how what is happening in one's body is affecting their spirit, affecting their social system, affecting how they see themselves as a person. To best provide that care, we provide the care together and are in constant communication with one another to make sure we're really stepping in to care for the whole person. When we do that, it's a constant dialogue of what are the person's needs at this time. It's it, There's a dance involved. It's, do I lean in? Do I lean back? What's the right constellation of the team that needs to step in to best care for this person in this moment? And that may shift and change over time, but that's part of the, the constant evaluation and assessment that we're, that we're constantly doing on a daily basis. Okay, so what stage of someone's care should palliative care become part of the conversation? The day I get a diagnosis or days before, months before, I'm not feeling well, I go to my doctor, things are going on. Do I start the conversation then or do I wait until a diagnosis is in front of me? I wish I could tell you that whenever somebody wants or thinks about palliative care, it's available right away. Unfortunately, it's a scarce commodity. So there are limits, limitations to access. Um, We don't have enough people. We don't have enough space. We're struggling to fill those gaps. So for, you know, the issue of office-based practices is a struggle. The issue of being able to go to people's homes and make home visits is a struggle. The issue of being able to go into nursing homes or assisted living facilities and visit people there, those are still not reliable services, although they desperately need to be. The one place where we have very good coverage is in the hospital. And that's important because people who are in hospital are very sick and very vulnerable, and that's a very important place for us to be. But I think if you pause and think about it for a moment, if you think about where people with serious illness are, 
the overwhelming majority are not in the hospital. They're home. They're in the community. They're in facilities. And we need to be where the patients are. Mm-hmm. So a lot of growth needs to occur in the next 10 to 20 years. But I would say when you're at a point, either once you're receiving treatment or have been receiving treatment for a long time or are not sure what to do in what direction to go about treatment, those are all very appropriate points to find yourself a palliative care team. In New York City, most major medical centers have palliative care teams. That is not true everywhere in the country. It is not true in all suburban areas of New York City. So you got to find us. Yep. So there's a website called getpalliativecare.org. Get palliative care, one word, dot Great. org. Maybe you could put this in the show notes. We definitely Where will. you can look up your hospital or put your zip code in. So helpful. See what services are around you. Sadly, medicine has become a commodity where discernment mm-hmm. is necessary. If you're not hospitalized and you're looking for this kind of help, go to that directory. I want to just talk a little bit about being a hospital chaplain at a bedside. The chaplain, you, Rabbi Meyerson, play a profound part in someone's end-of-life chapter in that moment. Can you talk to me a little bit about what's observed at that time? Really, what are the key qualities of a good chaplain? When we're stepping into this sacred space of what you're describing, Stephanie, someone at the at the real end of their life, and you're you're thinking about that moment. You know, certainly there's a, a lot more to that moment, to that person's life, and yet there's something incredibly profound about that moment and those moments leading up. As a chaplain, I I need to be able to go in and see how best I can tap into someone's spiritual and emotional wisdom and really understand who they are as a person. Is that person able to engage? Likely not in those moments when somebody's so close to the end of their life. It's who's at the bedside? Are there people at the bedside? Who are they? How are they connected to to this person? I make no assumptions. You'd be surprised all of the different types of people who show up I enter with an open heart and deep curiosity. So understanding who, who's in the room, are they talking? What are they saying? Are they quiet? What are they feeling? We see such a range of emotional expression from loved ones when someone is dying. And so as the chaplain, we, we show up to hold this space for all of the emotions to have a place. Oftentimes it's about the relationship and As we all know, as humans in the world, all relationships, there is the good, there's the bad. Complicated. They're complicated (laughs) relationships. And complex. There's a lot to feel. Wanting to be able to make space for any and all feelings to to have have a place and to just give permission that, that those feelings and emotions are welcome. Do the people in the room want to talk about the person who is dying? Do they want to talk to the person who is dying? One of the the ways that when I enter a room, it's how can I create a connection and a space for everyone in that in that room, as opposed to a silo here, you know, somebody here, somebody here, somebody here. How can we bring everyone together? If everyone's quiet, 
here are they quiet from a place of just i want to be still i I feel peace i want to have a peaceful space Mm -hmm. or do they not know what to say being able to engage in a conversation with them about who their person is is it the person's spouse of 50 Mm -hmm. years how did you meet i cannot tell you how many times i have asked that question over the course of the 16 years that i have been with our team and the look that shifts in somebody's face when you ask them, how did you meet? They go back there in a second, just their face softens and their eyes just start to glow with being able to remember and connect with their person through those memories. And I think that a lot of the, the time my work at the bedside is allowing for for people to be able to remember those connections. In a way, it actually starts the grief work of, yes, this person is dying. And it's interesting because we've talked about palliative care in terms of quality of life, and here we are at the end of life, and what you're providing is a quality end-of-life experience as well. You know, I think back, Rabbi, and of course, Dr. Meyer, in 2010, way back, Plaza gave our first community grant, partnering with Mount Sinai Hospital to fund a program called Jerry Talk. And I'm so pleased that it's still part of the curriculum today. And that's to train palliative care professionals with appropriate communication skills. And that same year, Dr. Meyer, you spoke at our bereavement conference that was sponsored by Plaza. Uh, The final chapter, end-of-life decisions, how families navigate life's toughest choices. And clearly, and probably forevermore, that conversation will continue. You touched on this earlier. We need to be having larger conversations with regards to health care and the whole ecosystem of health care. But I'm also hearing that these are conversations that need to be part of the religious and spiritual sphere as well, to let people know about the options and what palliative care can be to people. Question for you both. Many people ask me often, how do I work in a funeral chapel? Aren't I depressed? How sad I must be? And of course, both of you who know me, I I am honored to do the work that I do. I want to ask the same of you. How hard is it to do the work that you do? I've had to do a lot of my own reflection through training and as a professional chaplain to make sense of the world and suffering. And some of the things I've learned is that illness does not discriminate and can hit us at any time. And so I'm able to step into this work for a few reasons. Yes, suffering exists, but no one has to suffer alone. And when we're able to step in and provide whole person care, the suffering does lessen. It may not completely go away, but it lessens. And there is something incredibly holy about not only the reduction in the suffering, but the witnessing of the suffering and the alleviation of the suffering. The second has to do with honesty and authenticity whether with a patient, their loved ones, or the care team. Every one of these encounters gives everyone permission to be authentic, honest, and truthful. We're talking about precious time, however long or short that time may be. 
we don't have time to be anything else but authentic and honest and truthful. And I personally find that there's nothing better than to be your most authentic self as much of the time as possible, but especially during a very precious time in one's life. If you've ever been in a hospital, you've seen how everyone's running around from pillar to post. It's like brownie in motion. There's almost never moments of peace and quiet and unpressured exchange between two people. What happens is that attention, actual attention to the person who is sick and those who are with him or her is scarce. Yeah. What Rabbi Meyerson brings into the encounter and models for our fellows and our nurse practitioners and our social workers and our medical students and our residents and us is the ability to take a deep breath and give attention. It reminds me of this famous quote from Simone Weil, who wrote extensively on the issue of attention, but the quote that captures it is, attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. Hmm. That is palliative care secret sauce. We are the team that does not look to race out of the room to go see the next patient. We are the team that actually sits down and pulls up a chair and listens and provides our really undivided attention. We try to the person in front of us and the people around them rather than bringing our own agenda, our checklist to the bedside. Edie is a genius at that. And it takes a lot of self-discipline and self-awareness to quiet the monkey mind. And, and that is the most gratifying and nourishing thing a person can do. I mean, it is a gift. It feeds the clinician and the chaplain to the same extent that it, it meets the patient and the people who love the patient. I'm so moved, not only by the work that you do, but by the conversation. I truly hope that this discussion has led to a bit, <laughs> a bit of a greater understanding of palliative care and that we were able to bring it to the public in another way, with another voice, so people understand what palliative care is and the importance of it. I want to thank you for your sacred service to ensure that people have a beautiful end to their rich, beautiful lives. I'm really honored to know you, to call you wonderful colleagues and friends. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing this, Stephanie. As the host of Exit Strategy, I thank you for listening in to what I hope was an informative and illuminating conversation about this end-of-life issue. I urge you to visit our show notes, and there's an email listed there, so if you have any questions, send them my way. In the meantime, please share this episode with anyone you know who may be interested and subscribe to Exit Strategy. Wherever you listen to your podcasts each month, we'll renew our conversation with another topic, and I'm really happy you're along for the ride. I'm Stephanie Gary, and this is Exit Strategy. Exit Strategy.